0: Go ahead and get your Bibles. You're going to need that. I want you to turn to 2 Timothy with me. We're going to continue the series that you guys are in right now on on the life series. Um, but today we're going to really focus in on um, how to endure life's difficulties. You know, what do you do when life is uh, is it goes from good to hard? Um, so the, basically, this series the title is going to be "When Life Gets Hard." We're going to focus in on the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote uh, to Timothy. His Disciple in the faith. So that's going to be where we're going to be. So 2 Timothy, as you're turning there, see if you can uh, finish some of these phrases for me. All right. Uh, here, how about this one? When life gets, gives you lemons, make. make lemonade. All right. How about this? Um, uh, you have to play the cards. You've been. All right. All right. You're tracking with me. Um, when the going gets tough, the tough get going all right you know it's it's those are funny phrases a lot of us probably grown up with those phrases but uh, they all insinuate that life has its challenges um, and that's exactly what we're gonna be diving into today and the passage we're gonna find uh, let, let, that Paul was writing this letter to Timothy, a very personal letter. Um, but he's trying to encourage Timothy, look, things are gonna be hard for you uh, in the life. As you pursue God, you know God's got a specific call on your life. Um, as those of you graduating, listen to the letter, he's specifically saying the same thing. Um, as you pursue Christ, as you endeavor to fulfill the life that God has put you on this earth to fulfill, By the way, how many of y'all believe that God's got a plan for your life? Say amen. Amen. All right, that's exactly the case. And so as we're getting into this text, Paul's trying to encourage Timothy, as he's writing this letter from prison, life's gonna get hard. When you pursue Christ, it's gonna be hard. You're gonna come up against some some serious hardships. Uh, And some of you guys have been there, some of you guys are there now. Um, You know, what do you do when when you're living, you're, you're pursuing God and all of a sudden, the test results come back threatening. Oh, that wasn't supposed to happen, Lord, I, I'm, I'm only in my 30s and I got these negative, these test results that are life-threatening. Or maybe you're in another, um, another month that's passed of infertility. You know, God, I, I, I wanna have children, I wanna, I wanna give my children to the Lord, I wanna, I, God, you know the desires of my heart, but, but it's not getting any easier, another month has passed. Some of you guys know what that feels like, or maybe another month has passed and you're still in a season of singleness, what? God, this is not how I mapped out my life. It's hard. Or maybe you found out that your child is very sick. Or a sudden job loss. Or maybe you discovered your spouse has been unfaithful. Whatever the hardship is, you have to anticipate it's going to come. Just because you are a believer and you choose to be the kingdom of God. By the way, the students that were singing, the children that were singing, that good little girl, that's not cute. It's real. It's real. I mean, I don't want you to just get lost in, oh, that's so cute, we get our videos. Don't get lost in that. That's real life. Like, they are the kingdom of God. You are the kingdom of God. And as Tony said, we are called to be sent. Christianity is not a comfortable, boring life. If it is that for you, you're missing the mission. All right, so understand, this is not a cute thing. But here's Paul saying, look, as as you are pursuing God's plan for your life, you're gonna bump up against hardship. Things that are gonna to happen to you. And so Paul explains what to do when you experience those hardships. Second Timothy chapter four is where I want you to go to. It's the, it's the benediction of Paul's letter. And uh, he specifically says, leading up to this chapter four, he makes a statement to Timothy in chapter two. He said, look, look, Timothy, when you come against these hardships, you have to endure hardness as a good soldier, endure hardness. Chris, you want to come up here for a second? I'm going to ask him if I could borrow him for a minute. Why don't you come stand with me? This is a, a handsome devil. Not a devil, but a handsome guy, all right? Um, I need you to get down a little lower. I'm going to get on the set. You're taller than me. This is going to work. So the word endure. So, Tim, so Paul tells Timothy, look, look, look. You have to understand if you're going to pursue God's highest and best plans for your life, you're going to have to understand how to endure what that feels like. The word endure means to uh, to remain under something, like remain under the pressure, dude. You got it. Just it's like remaining under. There's pressure that you're going to experience. And here's the thing: God doesn't want you to quit. God's just trying to say, I want you to stay where you're at. Even the pressure and it hurts and it's gonna be painful at times, stay there. If God can just get you to stay and not run away, not quit, not back down, not shut up, that's what God wants, just stay there. And then it's in that space in your life that God's gonna do some of the most amazing things in your life and through your life. Whether that's singleness, whether that's hardship, whether it's you know having an issue with my family right now, Stay where you are. Don't run away and don't quit. Thanks, man. All right, that's what he's trying to say. That's what the word endure means. So as we work our way through this passage, understand Paul is trying to explain to Timothy what it looks like. Some of the things you're going to have to endure and then what it looks like to endure those hardships. So what we're gonna see in this text, we're getting there, uh, I'm gonna start reading in verse number nine at the end of the, and we're gonna work all the way through verse number 17, actually verse 18. Um, But as we do that, he's going to unpack for us five specific obstacles that you and I need to anticipate as we follow the Lord's plans for our lives. And by the way, I don't care how old you are. This is Paul writing and he's probably close to 80 years old at this point. Some scholars think he's even older than that. It doesn't matter how old you are. if If you're committed to following Jesus Christ with your life, these are things you're going to have to experience And no doubt, you probably have already or are currently experiencing these five five hardships. But more than that, I want you to see how he endures, how he remains under in these five hardships. So let's read the passage and we're going to pray. Y'all ready to jump? Say jump. Okay, let's go. Here we go. Verse number nine. "Do Do thy diligence, talking to Timothy, do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. For Demas hath forsaken me. Having loved this present world and is departed onto Thessalonica, uh, Cretan, Cretans is to Galatia and Titus and Dalmatia, only Luke is with me, who is his physician, and he says, take Mark. You know, the, the guy John Mark who deserted him in the past when he was on that, his second missionary journey? He says, take Mark and, and bring him with you, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Obviously, he's experienced a transformation, all right? Verse number 12. Antichicus, listen to this, Antichicus have I already sent to to Ephesus, and the cloak that I left in Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, but especially, don't forget the parchments, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil, the Lord reward him according to his works, of whom be be thou aware, also, for he hath greatly withstood our words." which is the gospel verse 16 at that at my first answer no man stood with me but all men forsook me i pray that god god it may i pray that god may be may not let, not it be laid to their charge notwithstanding the lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the gentiles might hear and i was delivered out of the mouth of the lion and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work. Somebody say amen. amen. And will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. And the church said amen. All right, so let's jump right in. It. Let's talk about these um, hardships that Paul is experiencing as he writes the end of this letter to Timothy. The first thing I want you to note: when life gets hard, I can endure first he talks about loneliness. First thing we notice in this passage is that Paul is apparently very lonely. Look what he says in verse number nine. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. <laughs> For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. He's departed unto and, 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 and Thessalonica. Cretans is in Galatia, Titus is in Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me, and he's a doctor. Do you know how boring doctors are? No offense, all right? That's, that's kind of what he saying. He's like, I just... Look, Timothy, you're my son in the faith. I've discipled you. You have to understand, I want you to be with me. I'm alone, I'm in prison. That's, you almost hear it in the the tone of his letter. Now this was no small feat. I need to give you some context here. Paul is currently writing this letter from a Roman prison cell. Now, explaining that a little bit in detail, he's in Rome and Timothy, his son in the faith, has now become the pastor of one of his first churches that he planted in Ephesus. So he's pastoring a group of people, raising up leaders to be able to lead the church, raising up a pastor so that he could go do it again. But here's Paul at the end of his life saying, I need you to leave Ephesus and I need you to come to me because I need you right now, Timothy. I'm alone, I'm in a dark place right now, please come to me and hurry up and come. That's what he's saying here. He's extremely lonely but you gotta understand, that's a long way away. Like, I'm t- Ephesus is 5,000 miles away from Rome. And by the way, at this time when he wrote this letter, Rome is the epicenter of the extreme per- Christian persecution that's happening. Like, the, the emperor Nero is actually governing at this point. Some of the things that he's doing is, is, is brutalizing uh, the Christians. Like they're, they're actually, um, they, what you, what's been recorded in history is that he's actually uh, burning them alive at the stake. He finds out that they're Christians and he's taking them and he literally burns them alive, puts them on a stake, lights them on fire for his parties as, he, as people drive up to his orgy parties. Not only that, he would, he would take Christians, find out their belief, he would raid the churches. If he found out where these underground churches were, he would raid the churches, put them inside of animal skin, alive, sew them up, and then throw them out to wild animals for sheer entertainment. And Paul's saying, Timothy, I need you here. And Timothy's like, yo, bro, no, I don't know about that. Come on, Rome. I don't know. Right? How many of y'all would do that? Like, I don't think that's a good idea. Why? Right now, let's let everything settle down a little bit. No, he, he's actually saying, I need you right now and come into the heat of the battle. What it tells me is that he's being very authentic and very real with Timothy. When you're in seasons of loneliness, the one thing you have to do if you're going to endure and remain under that kind of pressure and obstacle you're gonna to have to be transparent with people around you. So here's the application I want you to walk away with. When you're in a season of loneliness, reach out to others. You need to reach out just like, just like Paul's doing here. He's reaching out to Timothy. I need you, come now. I know it's dangerous. I know you're gonna risk your life by coming to me, but I need you now. Some of you are in an ongoing season of loneliness but you feel like, I can't, t- I can't reach out to other people. Like, maybe you don't even know the name of the person sitting at the other end of your row. So I don't really know them. But you're experiencing seasons of loneliness. Why not get to know them? This is your family, right? When you're in a season of hardship and you're experiencing loneliness, let me ask you, just, we have to go right for your heart. I don't like small talk. I'm going right for your heart. Why are you not connected with other people in this church? I'm assuming that some of you guys are not. If you are in a season of loneliness, why not get connected? Why not become part of a life group? Well, I don't, I don't wanna be a burden. I don't, I don't wanna, look, look, it goes two ways here. Paul has to admit with authenticity, I need some help, I need some close proximity, and by the way, this person isn't gonna solve my problem, he's gonna yoke up with me in the problem, is what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Don't don't look to people to solve the problem. Just, I need someone to walk with me, all right? And now, not only that, he goes on, he says, Timothy has to to respond to this. So it goes both ways. You have to be authentic to reach out. And by the way, if somebody takes you out to coffee this week because they're experiencing loneliness, you need to take them up on that offer. We're not talking about traveling 5,000 miles away here. We're talking about going to Starbucks. Bless the Lord, okay, all right? I mean, you treat me to Starbucks, I'll go. No, I'm kidding. But that's what he's saying here. So you, some of you in this room, upstairs, downstairs, you're going to need to reach out to somebody, and when they, and, and, and when they actually reach out to you, go. Amen. Go, because this is what we do. This is what we do. We are the kingdom, just like they just sang. All right, so when you're in a season of loneliness, reach out to others. Notice another thing that you can see in this text. It's, it's discomfort. You're gonna experience the hardship of discomfort as you follow the Lord. There's absolutely no doubt here. Look at verse 13. He says, the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments. Okay, why is he asking for a cloak? Anybody have thought of that? Why why is he asking for a cloak? What's the deal with that? Well, a cloak was used back in that time as like a, a coat, but also a blanket that you could use when you're freezing cold. Let me just paint you a real picture. I want you to get in the jail cell with me, so to speak, with Paul. I want to show you a picture of what it looks like um, if you go to Rome, what it's apparently uh, said to the, the, the actual jail cell that he was in. I don't know if you can make it out right now, but probably not, it's too, too little too dark. The, but against the back wall, there are chains, loose chains, that the person was able to actually be there, but he was chained to the wall. This was a dark cold dungeon. If you go to Rome right now, this is what they'll show you as what Paul's uh, cell was that he was actually in. The only light in the, in, the, in the dungeon was coming from above where people would walk. It's like a hallway upstairs. So I mean, this was a terrible place. He was freezing cold. And it said that Luke wasn't necessarily allowed inside the cell with him to live there. He was only allowed to occasionally be there to help him to, for his medical needs. So Paul was seriously alone but he's also very uncomfortable. It's freezing and it's cold in this dark dungeon. And so he's saying, hey look, look, I'm uncomfortable, please bring with you my cloak. And then he goes on and he says, but also bring the books and the parchment. What's up with that? What's up with the books and the parchment? It's believed that the books were They're actually scrolls that he actually was using to to read the Old Testament books. Um, Papyrus scrolls is what it was actually uh, written down at that time. So he was, see I want these Old Testament books. The word of God comforts me in a very difficult, discouraging time and I want it with me and also bring the parchment papers because the parchment papers is what he was using to write these letters. He said, I want you to continue, I want you to bring this stuff to me so that I can continue to serve the Lord in my discomfort because there's still more letters that I gotta finish writing. Like how cool is that? Like the guy isn't stopping. He's in a massive season of discouragement and and discomfort. He's cold, but he still wants to serve the Lord. Okay, so, so how? How was he able to endure discomfort? And by the way, you're gonna experience discomfort too, right? It may be in different, different ways, but you pursue the Lord, you can use your own imagination on the discomfort you're gonna feel or maybe you are feeling. You didn't, you didn't choose this, but believe that the Lord's gonna use this, whatever it is. All right, let's talk about how, how, what, what is he doing and in is in, in, in able to endure discomfort. Here's what he does. Notice this, he's very specific about what he needed. Now, I'm telling you, that's a very simple application of what Paul is doing here. Timothy, when you come, I want you to bring my coat, because it's cold, and it's dark, and it's damp down here. <laughs> for, for far too often, this is what's so frustrating in my own heart, um, far too often I settle, um, when I'm in seasons of discouragement and discomfort, I settle for vague generalities. You like that with me? Are you anybody like that in here? you like, when somebody asks you, how are you doing, Joe? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. But really, I'm massively dis- in, a, in a season of discomfort. I'm uncomfortable. Like, let me be real with you. When I left here, going to Chicago, Chi-town, I packed my entire house up in a truck because God said I want to use you to continue to expand the kingdom. But I don't want to go in a truck. I don't like trucks. But get your stuff in a truck, Joe, and I want you to go. And you know what what, what what helped me through that, just being real with you? What helped me through that is I was very real with the people that, are my, that were in my small group, in my life group. I was very real with some of you guys in this church and God, I need you to pray for me because things are not great. I'm actually discouraged because I have no stinking idea what God's gonna do when I get to Chicago. Like, I don't know where I'm gonna go. Am I gonna be in the ghetto again? You know, I don't know. But here's the thing, and that's okay. If God were to take me to ghetto, I'm okay. But the thing is, I needed to be real and authentic with you. And I need to be very specific about what it is that I'm discouraged about. Well, I don't want to burden people. Again, they're not there to solve your problem. They're to help yoke up with you in the problem. And by the way, I love how he's very, he says, he, says, he was very specific, and he says, I want you to bring my coat and my, my journal, so to speak. Um, I would say this, be specific, not just with other people in this church, be very specific with God. When you're praying prayers, don't just pray, God bless me. God, God bless me. No, God wants you to be very specific about what you want him to bless in your life. Ask him, God, I want you to bless the conversation I'm getting ready to have with my daughter. God, I want you to bless and help produce fruitfulness in the conversation I'm gonna have with my husband because right now, things are not going great. Specific prayers lead to specific power that you'll see God unfold in your life. And then you can journal that and say, mark that one down, baby, because God just performed a miracle. That's what happens, that's what happens but you gotta be specific about your needs. All right, I wanna show you a, a third thing. Let's keep going. The third um, hardship that Paul was experiencing is conflict. It's conflict. I want you to notice this. Um, really, we're gonna begin reading in verse 14 here. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works, of whom Be thou aware, be be aware of him also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. He mentions Alexander the coppersmith. Some scholars believe that uh, this was the same guy that opposed him when he was in Ephesus. He struggled great financial, he suffered great financial loss because of the gospel spreading all over Ephesus because he was an idol maker. He was interrupting his profiting. He was messing up his business strategy. And so he goes after Paul, shut your mouth, man. You're messing up my business over here, is what he tells Paul. And so he continues to spread. This guy, think about it, he travels, it's supposedly believed, he's traveled a long way, 5,000 miles from Ephesus to go to Rome to plead his case that this guy is corrupting an entire business. He's ruining Ephesus because of this gospel message. He has meant him much wrong and much harm. Have you ever met people like that in your life? (laughs) you're trying to follow the Lord, and you are doing the best you can to obey the Lord and serve the Lord, and in comes this person who literally, maybe they don't intend to hurt you, maybe they don't intend to do you ill, but they are janking up your life. Is that okay to say in church, janking? Okay, but they are, they are wreaking wrecking havoc in your life. It's, it's, your life is flipped upside down because of this person. And if only you can get your hands on that. No, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, everybody experienced that? Well, that's, that's, what, that's what's happening here with Paul. But here's what I want you to see that Paul does, which is absolutely amazing. And it's so subtle, and I don't want you to miss this, because it has massive implications to our ability to endure opposition. Notice what he said. Let the Lord reward him according to his work. You know what he does here? He gets his eyes vertical, He gets his eyes up. He's not looking at this person because the reality is Paul knows that Alexander is not his enemy. No, 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 his real enemy is the devil. Alexander is the puppet, the puppet of the devil. And I can't let him, I can't attack him, I can't strangle him. What he is, he's dark, he can't see the light. But may he may he'll be able to see the light in me and in my response. May the Lord reward him. I'm letting you handle him, God. He looked up rather than trying to solve the problem himself. You know, I want to show you, explain this. This is your application. I want you to walk away with. too. Um, when you're experiencing season of conflict, look up and remember that God is in control. Look up and remember that God is in control. So that's a cute phrase, Joe. That's really cute. I think it's so sweet that you say look up. I mean, that's a great Christianese phrase, right? Look up and believe that God is there. Butterflies, right? Right? Cute phrase, but let's be real about it. What in the world does it even look like to literally look up to God? Like, what are we talking about here? Let's, be, let's go from, from uh, ambiguity here and some abstract idea to concrete facts. What does it look like to look up? Here's some ways you can tell if you're looking up. Mark this down, write it down, see if this is you. Number one, if I'm looking up to God, it means I am getting low and I'm not getting loud. I'm getting low, not loud. Am I getting loud and angry over the top at this person or am I getting low and saying, God, look, I, I can't solve this problem. The greatest way I'm gonna see a change happen is if the power of the living God invades that guy's house and changes his heart. God, you've gotta do this. I need you to do it, I can't do it. I'm gonna stay low. Hence, you don't see him going after him, he's just asking God to do what only he can do. All right, second thing, and we'll tell if I'm looking up, I lean on God and not on crutches. I lean on God, not on, I'm just talking out of experience. I'm not just making this stuff up, this is real. I lean, this is how I tell if I'm looking up to God. I lean on God on crutches. What are some crutches in my life? Well, I mean it could be anything. It could be, um, it could be uh, work, it could be myself, it could be other people, I'm, I'm relying on other people to solve my problem more than I'm relying on God. Um, it could be alcohol, it could be substance. Every one of us have tendencies and crutches that we usually run to. My wife says, I know what my crutch is. I say, what's your crutch? She says, Target. <laughs> Target's her, uh, her um, what is it, uh, her therapy, her, what's it called? A ther- retail therapy. That's retail, I don't know. Well, it's, it's good, she knows her crutch, right? But well, let me ask you, what is your crutch? What do you tend to run to when you're experiencing opposition? You're going somewhere, is it God? Lean on the Lord, not on the crutch. Number three, I'm, I will leave the results up to the Lord and I will not force it. Not, I will not force things to happen. God will bring the resolution in this life or the next life. Don't take matters in my own hands. Oh man, how many of you guys have learned the hard way with that one, right? You've got the war wounds on that. I can relate. All right, so we have seen Paul endure loneliness In this passage, we've seen how he's enduring discomfort. We've seen how he's enduring conflict. Now I wanna show you the fourth thing that I see in verse 16, how he endures rejection. By the way, you're gonna experience this if you follow the Lord. Again, how does he endure rejection? Let's look at verse 16, we'll see. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray that God, I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding though, the Lord stood with me and he strengthened me that by me, the preaching might be fully known in Rome without fear and that all the Gentiles might hear and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Now this is, when we read verse 16, he says that my first answer, what he's talking about um, was his preliminary investigation preceding the formal trial. He had, to, and, and according to the Roman law, he would have been permitted to, have, to, to employ an advocate or call out witnesses to stand in his defense. But he said, when I looked to do that, nobody was standing by my side. Demas left me, all the people that are with me are gone, nobody was there, nobody would stand by my side. And you know what's interesting? He doesn't even mention Luke here. Now I don't know if Luke wasn't there yet when that first happened, I'm not sure, but apparently he's making a point, nobody stood by my side. Can you blame them? We're talking about Roman crazy emperor Nero, right? He's going to kill you. You 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 stand by Paul. You're a you're a goner. But he says, you know, I don't. I pray that God doesn't lay it to their charge. Can you can you get there with me this morning with him? Imagine you're in that you're in that room with Paul and you're standing to have defend defend yourself of the life that you have been called out to live, I'm not meaning any ill by this. I'm just simply wanting the people to know the truth of who Jesus is, the son of the living God. I'm not intending to kill people's business. Nobody's there to defend him. Vulnerable in that moment, alone. How do you think you would feel I love how in verse 17 he quickly pivots. And he says, notwithstanding though, the Lord, the Lord stood with me. And he knew it. It's as if he, I mean, he could actually experience. It's such an interesting thing when you're translating from Greek to English. It's so hard to capture the fullness of the translation. Especially when you're reading something like this. Because Paul is essentially communicating that there was a real closeness that I was experiencing in that courtroom that I cannot articulate, notwithstanding the Lord was right by my side. And it conveys this idea that he was not just standing beside you, but he was, he was hugging him like a child, hug, the father hugging his daughter tightly. Like that's the scene that Paul is describing here. Like I was alone. There was nobody next to me, but God was with me. He was with me in my greatest rejection. I want you to hear that this morning. When you're experiencing rejection because you're following the Lord, and you will, you will. When that happens, look around because God is oftentimes the closest in that moment. That's what he wants for you. God, why are you allowing me to go through this? I feel like I can never break through. Every time I want to experience a breakthrough in my life, I feel another rejection or another opposition and another conflict. Why, God? Because I'm here. Because I'm here. I'm with you. I want you to feel my close presence in a way that you could never feel unless this happened to you. That's what God's saying. Now let's talk about application here. What do you do? How does Paul endure rejection? Here's what he does. He just simply stays close to God. He's not going anywhere. He's he's wrapped up, reveled in, delighting himself in the closeness of God. And, and, And he's bragging about it. He's bragging about it to Timothy. He says, look, because he's close to me, he strengthened me. No, 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 Paul. Timothy, he literally strengthened me and I was bold. I mean, I literally told all these, these killers, these murderers who I know they're going to kill me as soon as I say what I'm saying. I was bold and I told him what God wanted me to tell him and the gospel went forth. That's how he handled rejection. He stayed close to God. Let me show you lastly and we'll be done. The last thing that you can see in this passage of how he handled hardship is he had to deal with exhaustion. Notice verse 18. He said, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil, what does he say? Work. work, every evil work, and will preserve me unto his, what church? Heavenly, heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. <laughs> Simply put, Paul says that you, you know what keeps me going? Why I get, I can, I, I'm not quitting? Because the Lord's preserving me. That word preserve means to save me. He is saving me, he's bringing me into the heavenly kingdom. It's part of the saving process is a transforming process. He's changing me. He's making me stronger. He's opening the eyes of my heart so that I can see him more clearly. I'm I'm discovering new things, new realities about who God is. And that's why I'm not exhausted. That's why I'm not quitting. He says, all I'm thinking about is what will heaven be like if this is what I can experience here? So application. When I'm experiencing exhaustion, I focus on heaven focus on heaven this is why he did not shrink back when facing martyrdom he knew that dying isn't evil look at the text he says he will deliver me from every evil work Don't, wouldn't you consider murder being an evil thing yeah. not according to Paul he says this is you may mean it for evil but God's gonna use your evil for good yo you think he could kill me all you're doing is you're getting me to him faster kill me That's what he's saying here. What they think is evil is actually my greatest gain. Come on now. That's some good stuff. That is beautiful, but can I be honest with you? Everyone in this room can identify? Ain't nobody in this room can say that unless, unless you know the closeness of God's presence. You have to experience the closeness. And by the way, you're only gonna experience the closeness of God when perhaps you go through the hardest things in your life. But you've got to endure Remain under and let God reveal more of himself to you. That's what this passage is all about. Here's the sermon in a sentence. I can endure any hardship because my God will strengthen me.